writing the script, I was like, how does it keep going? So <laughs> you're like, God damn it, Ken Paxton. Get your shit together, buddy. behaving badly i'm karen delaney and i am jennifer judge happy monday night friend how are you what are you up to i am tired but good i'm good i am i am dealing with a tragedy on my hands that i haven't told you about because i was saving it for this (gasps) what a excuse me how dare you (laughs) i know i have had a personal tragedy um as you know on tuesday i went and got my hair color done and my stylist fucked up and turned my hair blue with toner. And so... I was going to say, I, you're not looking very... I was told you were blonde and you were not looking blonde. You can't tell because it's hidden it's right all up. now. Yeah, but okay. it's like bright gray right now. And <gasps> cool. so I need to get a color correction done. Because um, at first I was like, oh, I like ashy. And then I like washed it this morning and it's like blue gray. And so I was like, oh, that's not the ashy no. I wanted. So... I'm going to be rocking my hair up for a while. So that is my personal tragedy right now. <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and as we said, like, I have really big work meetings in person on Wednesday. So I'm going to, like, show up to them and the people that know me are going to be like, oh, your hair. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm a free spirit. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> is this a stylist that you've worked with for a long time? Years. And like... Huh. The last time I had my hair done, it went a little too brassy. So I think she tried to overcorrect this time and the toner turned it like blue. Um, so I may go back to an old stylist that I stopped using because he was just like way too far away for me to justify the drive. He's he's in Plano. Um, and so I was like, I can justify the drive if it means having the color I want. No, so, I mean, thank yeah. God I'm self-employed because... I still go see the colorist that I used in Dallas Mm pre-pandemic. And it is basically, I mean, between the time it takes to do the color and the processing and the time it takes to get there and back, it's like a half day affair. But, you know, I'm my own boss. So I, you know, I pick up like a Monday or a Tuesday and I go do it. And I would follow this woman to the ends of the earth because (laughs) she has perfected the color at this point. Mm -hmm. And she does such an amazing job. So that's really shocking to me that this yeah. happened to you. I'm sorry. So I, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's fine. But I walked in and my husband was like, oh, it's silver gray. <laughs> I was well, like, no, I, mean, I know that's grand, not really yes. what I wanted. But yeah. In the grand in the grand scheme of things, it's fine. In mm-hmm. the short term, it's incredibly disappointing because I know I look forward to my appointments. Mm-hmm. I love how my hair looks when it's done. And it is no small feat to get out the door and spend that time doing that. Not to mention the expense involved, right? And so yeah. for it to go awry would be would be personally devastating. Well, it sucks too because just like you said, it's like it's four hours all in basically to get yeah. this done. And so you do it, and then you're done. You're like, oh, now I got to get it done again. I mean, it's going to be quick. I'm sure they can just fix it with a you know a yellow tone toner or something like that. We'll be fine. I'm sure we'll fix it. But so that's my personal tragedy. And otherwise, oh, everything's great here. How are you? <laughs> I hope you'll get through it. I'm t- I have returned from Taylor Swift. Yes, we need a summary. How was it? It was absolutely wonderful, delightful. It was just incredibly kind and generous of this attorney out in Colorado to invite me along because she was taking her 11-year-old niece 
who mm-hmm. flew in from elsewhere oh. to see it. Yeah, and it's obvious that they are so close, and that's just oh, that's so, so like, heartwarming to be a bystander mm-hmm. and see that. And she neglected to mention it was also her birthday on Friday. Oh, the attorney that I went with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and her niece is also turning 12 soon. And so it was just a really special occasion for them. And I got to, you know, tag along and mm-hmm. have fun. It was, the concert was great. And I had a wonderful time. And I also had a great time because I flew into Denver around 11 o'clock on Friday uh, morning and getting a rental car was an absolute unhinged nightmare. I will oh, never yeah. be using Avis again. I waited in line for more than an hour just oh, to get God. to the front of the desk and then went outside and they were like, you can choose from any car you want. Take take all the time you need. And I was like, give me the one at the front of the line. Like, I don't care what it is. Give me what it is. <laughs> it was a Kia Soul. You know, the one that the gerbils drive around in the commercial. And it was the brightest, most obnoxious red I have ever seen (laughs) in my life. This is the most preposterous, ridiculous car. And I drove us to the Taylor Swift concert. So (laughs) I didn't know that. The stupidest looking car I've ever seen. And I honestly, I don't think I would object to this car if it had been a more neutral color. Mm -hmm. But it was just, it wasn't even a cherry red. It had too much orange in the red. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, where did this color come from? Who (laughs) likes this? Who likes this? But the great thing was we had no problem finding the car after the concert. It was probably like illuminating itself. (laughs) It literally stuck out like a sore thumb. But we had a wonderful time, and I'm so glad we did it. And hopefully I have a new friend in Denver, and I wasn't too weird about everything. And I also had a lovely little lady day because after the car debacle, I went to drop off my bags at the hotel. They were doing a whole Taylor Swift thing. One of her famous songs is Champagne Problems. And so they had a Champagne Problems station when you walked in where they Mm -hmm. were offering complimentary rosé and champagne. And then they gave us a little... um, gift bag full of some theme stuff. Then I went and got my nails done and had lunch by myself outside on a patio. It was absolutely delightful. I had a nice little snake meal. Gorgeous weather. You were away from here and you could have like a patio lunch and not die. (laughs) Yeah. And and not wish I were dead. So I had a, a late afternoon snake meal and that was absolutely delicious and then went off to the concert and it was wonderful and then i was back at the rental car place 6 30 the next morning because i had to fly out fairly early and my husband was waiting for me at my gate in dallas because he was flying out to a cousin's wedding oh my gosh yeah (laughs) so we basically said hi and bye and then separated as i went to go to the garage to get my car and he went off to his gate to go board his flight and he went to a wedding last night and I hung out with the kids or not last night on on um, Saturday night. And I hung out with the kids and he got back on Sunday after some flight delays. And so it was a whirlwind of a weekend, but absolutely delightful. And the concert was incredible as I, you know, I knew it would be mm-hmm. and really fun too to see it in an open air stadium because they played Mile High Field where mm-hmm. the Broncos play. And that stadium was so loud. It was so fun. So I had I had a great time. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. I was thinking about this Sunday night, I think. I was like, you know what I'm going to be sad about? 
when the tour is over and my TikTok on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights is not just Taylor Swift concert clips from the concert that night and the night before, like it's a very nice little getting to bed, you know, ritual for me now is to watch a yeah. little TikTok and watch a little Taylor Swift. It's and fun. So and, yeah, I was and the, watching the, and thinking of you. The US tour is going to be over soon, very, mm-hmm. very soon. I think it ends in August. And then I don't know when her international tour starts, but. It was it was lovely and I was so touched that somebody was willing to let me share that experience with them and have a great time and dance and sing. And the other thing that was really great is there were a lot of teenage girls in our suite and they were mm-hmm. just having the best time. And I feel <laughs> like young girls and teenage girls, I mean women are always policed in what yeah. we do and young girls especially of are course, yeah. always policed and like how they're talking and vocal fry and do they say like too much and do your shorts do your short do your shorts reach your fingertips and are you wearing spaghetti straps and mm-hmm. getting blamed for distracting boys at school and you know all of this kind of stuff and so it was just really fun to see the young people having <laughs> <laughs> to to see girls just having a great time and i think taylor swift for the most part, the attendees are like um, the ladies, gays, and theys. And mm-hmm. so it's just a really kind of joyful, safe concert space to be in and to express joy mm-hmm. and have fun. And so that was really fun just seeing that too. That reminds me too, because you and I went to the Lizzo concert. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I felt the same way with the same crowd vibes. there. I mean, it was I felt 100% safe, like thousands and thousands of people never felt even a hint of unsafe once. And part of it is the crowd that attends those concerts, just the vibes are fantastic. They're not Mm -hmm. off and everybody is there to get along and have fun. And there's no like bros there ruining the entire vibe. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. The vibes are immaculate. So Mm -hmm. wonderful weekend. I had a great time. And thank you so much to that, that listener for sharing that with me. That was awesome. Well, we stand our listeners. They're wonderful. And thank you very much. And you know, if any of our listeners wanted to fly us out to Paris for the Taylor Swift concert <laughs> there, I'm just putting it out there to the world, to the universe. Well, we are or, open to that experience. I mean, I believe uh, Beyonce is touring in Europe right now. She yes. has a U.S. tour coming up. And I'm here to tell you, I went to her last tour pre-pandemic with one of our friends. Mm-hmm. And I think you couldn't come. You were out of town or something. I think I, I remember this. I was out of town. Mm-hmm. Girl, it's one of the best concerts I've ever been to. She's the most extraordinary performer. I need to look that up because I do want to go to that one. And my sister and I just bought concerts to Pink when she oh. or tickets to Pink when she comes in September. I've never seen her live. So we just That's going to be so that. fun. Mm-hmm. I've heard she's amazing. That'll be yeah, amazing. I can't yeah. wait. So and I've seen snippets on TikTok of her concert, you know, because she's touring right now too. And it looks fantastic. So yeah. I'm very excited about that. So we are all about women concerts. <laughs> hmm Well good. Well this week we're going to start our three or finish our three part series on Ken Paxton, and this is such a monster episode. I think that we didn't even bother with a hot toppy um, because yeah, I, there's just I texted so much. you and I was like, "Please say we don't need a hot toppy because I am <laughs> so tired." <laughs> no, we don't. We have a lot, and I writing this script. I was like, "How does it keep going?" So. <laughs> You're like, God damn it, Ken Paxton. Get your shit together, buddy. We we need content, but not like this much content. Show some moderation. So here we are. We remember in the first episode, we covered his younger life and early career in politics. 
That career included his time in the Texas House, the Texas Senate, and immediately being indicted with three felonies as soon as he became attorney general. In the second cursed episode, we covered the causes that Paxton promotes through the Texas Attorney General's office. We only hit the lowlights and most newsworthy ones because there are hundreds of stories out there about the ways that the Attorney General's office is used only to promote causes Paxton supports, even when those causes are at odds with prior stances taken by previous attorneys general. I did want to provide one little update to the ramifications of people believing the 303 creative holding applies to them. Uh, yep, we knew this was coming. Yep. We we knew it was coming. It's such an obvious outgrowth of this opinion. Yep. So we have a judge in Waco, Texas, who in 2019 was reprimanded by the State Judicial Commission for refusing to perform same-sex weddings. And she has refused to perform them. She says that performing those weddings violates her religious beliefs. When the State Commission on Judicial Conduct sanctioned her for her refusal to perform those job duties in violation of her oath, she sued the commission. And as we've said in prior episodes, it's the job of the attorney general to defend state agencies when they are sued. So, KP, guess whether the attorney general's office has chosen to defend the State Judicial Conduct Commission in this lawsuit? Ugh, I'm sure they uh, declined, even though they it's declined. their obligation. Mm-hmm. Yes, they declined, even though it's their obligation. So, a fun little combination and whirlwind of two of the topics that we covered last week. And with that, we finally dive into Ken Paxton's impeachment and his soon-to-be-held trial in the Texas Senate. (laughs) Okay, so you know I wasn't excited about last week's recording Mm -hmm. because everything he does is awful and depressing and has Mm -hmm. serious, potentially deadly ramifications for people in this state. I have been so excited for this episode because, (laughs) to be honest, I sort of checked out on Ken Paxton a long time ago because it became pretty clear that he was going to be protected at all times by the Republican Mm -hmm. apparatus. And it's like, there's no accountability for this guy. There's none. And so, I mean, I'd seen various headlines about the things I'm sure you're going to talk about today. And then when rumblings of impeachment started, I also just didn't pay it much mind. One, Mm -hmm. because I was busy and there was a lot of stuff going on. But two, I was just like, well, whatever. I don't know. Like, I don't know if anything is actually going to come of this. So I don't know that much about any of this. And I've heard little snippets from you and another Mm -hmm. one of our friends and our conversations, including I I really need to know about this tacky ass renovation and how that fits in. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'm very excited. I'm so excited, and we're getting to the meat of the corruption here. Yes! Um, The majority (laughs) of this information is the result of an investigation that the Texas legislature had done in 2023, and then in May 2023 had this hours-long hearing where the investigators presented all of their findings. So a lot of this comes from that, and then the resulting journalists and other people creating, you know, side investigations off of this main investigation. So let's jump to October 2020. And that is when the lid blew off of all of these investigations. Or when of all these allegations. I'm so excited. (laughs) So do you remember when this happened? In early October 2020, seven of Paxton's top deputies wrote a letter to the Attorney General's Office Director of Human Resources accusing Paxton of improper influence, abuse of office, bribery, and other crimes. I don't remember the details. I remember it happened. And 
the one thing that's really stuck with me is the commentary swirling around this seemed to be, this is very serious because these are dyed in the wool right wing extremists mm-hmm. who have been participating in the attorney general's project to carry out right wing extremist policies. Mm-hmm. So for them to accuse him of misconduct is a very serious thing. I mean, you can't you can't dismiss it as a political hack job yes, or somehow the libs li- out to get libs us. Yeah. infiltrating <laughs> the office. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, these deputies not only wrote a letter to the Attorney General's Human Resources, they also provided all their information to the FBI and requested that the FBI investigate their claims into Paxton. The day before they did all of this, they texted Paxton and told him what they would be doing. Well, that's not very smart, but okay. I think it was mostly we're telling we're telling everybody this and here's your chance to come clean is essentially what it sure, was. Sure, sure, <laughs> but I mean he's sort of a known quantity, right? Yeah, so exactly. I guess maybe you feel obligated by the length and the nature of the relationship mm-hmm. to do him that courtesy, but also if you believe that the FBI should investigate do you think it's appropriate to tip off the subject of that <laughs> investigation? Mm-hmm. Just, a, just a thought. Guess who was the first signatory for that letter? We've talked about him already. Oh, I'm not going to remember. They're all terrible. Jeff Mateer. He was the one that was nominated for it's, He was too judge. extremist. He yeah, was he was too, too extremist. extremist. So he was the first signatory. He was the first assistant attorney general. And the other signatories included the deputies overseeing the divisions for criminal investigation, civil litigation, administration, and policy. And just like you said, these were all handpicked political appointees, essentially, by Paxton that Mm -hmm. were dyed-in-the-wool GOP lawyers, you know, that were loyal to the GOP agenda. And so it really said a lot that they were doing this. And the letter said the signatories, quote, had a good faith belief that the attorney general is violating federal and or state law, including prohibitions relating to improper influence, abuse of office, bribery, and other criminal offenses. Oh my God, I fucking love it. I know. So we're going to dive into the allegations themselves shortly, but guess what Paxton's response was to this letter? Didn't he fire them all? Well, we'll get to that too, but he said it was done to impede an impending, they made this claim that to, to, to impede an impending investigation into criminal wrongdoing by public officials, including chosen employees at the attorney general's office. So basically he said, oh, well, they're doing this because I'm investigating them. Oh, okay. What, from his house in McKinney, like yes. six hours from Austin? Mm-hmm. He's in, Okay, he's real busy. This is like pre-pandemic. <laughs> he's like really busy investigating them. All right, Ken. Or I guess Let's, this is mid-pandemic, right? We're October this is, 2020? This is mid-pandemic, Oh, this yeah. is the height of the pandemic. Okay. The height of the pandemic. So he's... Uh, so Ken's working remotely, exactly. Doing Just investigations like all of remotely, exactly. like the rest of us. Okay, <laughs> he's zooming and teaming here and there. So we have seven deputies, handpicked, hired by Paxson, resigned publicly. Prior to this, KP, had you ever heard of a man named Nate Paul? No. Okay. Well, let's learn about Nate Paul. Nate was an early donor to Paxton's career. He donated $25,000 to Paxton's attorney general campaign in 2018. Um, Excuse me. I believe terminology is important. Do you mean close friend Nate Paul? No, he actually was a political (laughs) donor, Nate Paul, but also, as we will see, very close friend. (laughs) Paul is a real estate developer in Austin. 
He created the real estate firm called World Class Capital Group in 2006. Ah, yes, the name speaks for itself. Exactly. How It's obviously world class. We've named it that way. Mm-hmm. I read some fawning early coverage of Paul. He was a UT dropout from college and basically dropped out of college in Austin at UT to flip, spend time flipping real estate like apartment buildings in the early 2000s. And eventually he was allegedly rich enough to become a multimillionaire and this influential real estate developer in the Austin area. In 2015, the Austin Business Journal ran a profile of him titled, Is This Guy For Real?, And allegedly, Nate Paul's name was the most searched term in the business journal the previous year. Oh, Um, what? Yeah, exactly. There was no site for that. um, So I was very questionable about that. That is nonsense. Yeah, okay. In this profile, they talk about how as a college student, Paul brought an apartment building for $1.1 million and flipped it 90 days later for $1.6 million. So he comes from money. I was about to say... Did you have 1.1 rolling around when you were a college student? Because I did not. Well, no. I mean, this is like the classic. uh, You always see those stories online where it's like, this millennial is going to tell you how they went from rags to riches. And it's basically (laughs) like, start out with a trust fund and be rich. Be born rich. That's what that's the secret. They're like, I, I don't have avocado toast and I make my coffee every morning and I use the library and my dad bought me my first house. And yes. I- <laughs> yes. So, exactly. And then they bought us a starter rental, a starter rental property. Exactly. You know? And that's yeah. how I earn passive income. And that's how you can do it too. Yeah. You're like, God damn it. <laughs> I don't come from generational wealth. What the fuck? <laughs> Well, Paul then bought a bunch of properties in West Campus during 2008 and the real estate collapse, and then invested in self-storage unit businesses and bought tons of self-storage unit places. By 2009, the Austin Police Retirement Fund had invested $25 million with Nate Paul and his sister. Yes. I mean, I'm sure that's a tiny fraction of Mm -hmm. the the fund's overall value. But all the same, it's like, who is this fucking guy? Yeah, exactly. He just kind of crawls out of nowhere. Relevant to our interests, his sister was a lawyer at Skadden in New York City and left the firm to create the New York City office of world class. (laughs) This is giving me real boats and hose vibes. Yes. (laughs) Prestige worldwide. Yeah. (laughs) He was a Forbes top 30 under 30 in 2017. Uh, And at the time, they said World Class had $1.2 billion in assets. For a while, he he owned the KPMG building in downtown Dallas, the Spaghetti Warehouse that's on 4th Street in downtown Austin. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that one. You knew you'd love that one. (laughs) It truly is a World Class portfolio. (laughs) Is that even still a restaurant? I know the building's there. Is it still even a Spaghetti Warehouse? I was going to say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I Austin don't know. Austin people, let us know. Karen, tell us. Karen Gladick, <laughs> email us and tell us. And he owned a huge 3M complex on Lake Travis. But shockingly, it may not have all been on the up and up. And I know that's surprising what? with a company name like World Class. He should have named it World Class and Legal. So... In 2019, the FBI raided Paul's home and offices, and as a result of that media coverage, Paul said his business was severely compromised because of all the negative media coverage. Then, right after that, the pandemic hit, and commercial real estate wasn't 
the hot commodity that it was pre-pandemic. Many of Paul's properties went into foreclosure, or Paul was forced to file multiple bankruptcies to avoid foreclosure. Mm-hmm. He then sued the FBI, alleging <laughs> that he, <laughs> as you do, alleging that they violated his Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights and damaged his company's reputation. And the lawsuit was premised on an argument that the raids were conducted without a valid search warrant or probable cause, and that the FBI, quote, intentionally damaged property that belonged to Paul in world class. And I went through his lawsuit. It wasn't that there were, he was alleging there were no subpoenas and no warrants. He was challenging the subpoenas that they had any sufficient factual backing to be granted and that they were based on false statement of facts. And honestly, it was one of the worst complaints I've ever read. It was completely <laughs> like wrote. It was. It doesn't identify which statements were allegedly untrue, how they were untrue. It literally is just like it was based on untrue statements. But it even say like, this statement is untrue and here's how it's untrue. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, so the district court apparently agreed and it was dismissed on a 12 B six motion in November, 2022. So basically as soon as it started, it gets dismissed. Exactly. Paul's no stranger to other litigation in another lawsuit, a charity in Austin sued Paul for fraud relating to investments. The nonprofit made with him and his stewardship of their money. He lost that litigation and the court issued a $2 million judgment against him. And to help in enforcing that judgment, the court issued an injunction requiring Nate Paul to make monthly expenditure reports and barring him from spending more than $25,000 at one time. Unsurprisingly, Paul did not file the monthly reports for five straight months, just basically refused to do so. And, you know, district courts are totally cool with that when you ignore court orders. He also... The day after the injunction was issued, paid almost a million dollars to another company he owned called Westlake Industries, and then paid $100,000 to another person who had a judgment pending against Paul. Okay, so he's just dissipating assets yeah, at this point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Immediately, they have a sanctions hearing, and the nonprofit's lawyers ask Paul about the $100,000 payment, and he's like, I don't have any memory of that. I don't know what that payment is. <laughs> He also denied any transfer to this company, Westlake Industries, even though the nonprofit's lawyers are basically cross-examining him with the bank statements that Mm -hmm. show from Westlake Industries that they received this deposit from World Class. Mm -hmm. The court eventually ordered Paul to pay over $180,000 in sanctions and spend 10 days in jail for contempt (gasps) for lying under oath and refusing to file the monthly expenditure report. Holy shit! Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not necessarily surprised by the monetary sanctions, but it is rare that somebody goes to jail for contempt. For civil litigation contempt? Yeah. That's extremely rare. Wow. Okay. Nice. The judge wrote that Paul's lies, quote, to the court while under oath were pervasive and inexcusable. And that order is currently stayed on procedural grounds on appeal. Basically, did he get enough notice Mm -hmm. of the contempt sanction? But it may be reinstated. So that is still pending. So that's our Nate Paul. So how does he fit into the Paxton saga? Paxton and Nate Paul were friends. And we know of at least four times where Paxton used the attorney general's office to come to Nate Paul's aid. And so this Mm. is where we dive in and have fun. As we've discussed, the attorney general's office makes the final determination on which records are subject to state open records requests and disclosure obligations. The attorney general gets roughly 40,000 requests per year to rule on Mm -hmm. open records disputes. In 2019 and 2020, the attorney general's office was involved in multiple public information matters related to Nate Paul. Hmm. 
We'll discuss in more depth in a moment, but Paul was convinced that the legal issues and the FBI investigations he was facing were part of this large conspiracy against him. His lawyers, wanting to investigate that theory, requested copies of the affidavits of probable cause regarding the warrants issues for issued searching Paul's properties, including all unredacted information. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we've seen before, there are two things when you have a warrant. There's a warrant that's provided to, you know, the recipient, the subject. And then there's also the affidavit, which the government uses to request the judge grant the warrant. Right. That's what they show to the judge. And exactly. a lot of times what you, if they're searching your house or your office or whatever, a lot of times what you get, like, there's not a lot of information in that. Exactly. And I don't want to defend you know, cops or prosecutors or whatever. But part of that, I believe, is to probably protect the integrity of your investigation by not Mm -hmm. disclosing like sources and methods. Yeah, that's exactly right. At least with pending, maybe once the investigation's done, you may get it, you know, you may get a copy of it, but definitely while the investigation's pending. This information had been sealed by the court at this point when they made the request. And generally state open records requests have a very broad exception to disclosure obligations related to ongoing criminal investigations. Obviously. Paxton, however, told everyone in his office that he had also been unfairly treated by law enforcement and asked one of his deputies to look into Paul's request. Wait. To require, yes. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because he got yelled at for purloining some pens? Or remember, he has pending felony indictments. Right. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That's him being real. But nothing's happened. Yes. Like he hasn't even had a trial. Like how have you been mistreated by you've 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 managed to avoid any consequences for these indictments, unlike I mean, imagine any other criminal defendant. Eight years. Eight years. Nobody would manage pending. to do this. No, no. Paxton did. He held several meetings with his deputies where he pressured them to release the records to Paul, and the deputies ultimately refused. Mm-hmm. On this one. Later, Paxton asked his deputy about another request made by Paul regarding the searches on Paul's properties. And Paxton wanted to release more information that the FBI wanted private, again, because it still pertained to an active investigation. Uh huh. The deputy told Paxton multiple times basically, we can't release these documents because this is like black and white example of a law enforcement exception to mm-hmm. records requests. And he also explained, if you release these records, you're negating years of legal precedent and you're going to force law enforcement agencies to have to sue the state to protect these ongoing investigations going forward. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Which which makes it even clearer that he is just trying to do a friend, do a favor for a buddy. Mm -hmm. And Paxton was real clear about this. He told the deputy, I know Paul's being railroaded. And because I've been railroaded and I want to make sure that the Office of Attorney General will not be assisting federal law enforcement in any way. Which, again, the Attorney General's office is law enforcement. Like, they're, right. basically, they're basically right. saying we're not going to assist federal law enforcement in this. Paxton instructed his deputy to find a way to release the documents and ordered the agency to issue an opinion that takes no position on whether the document should be released. Because when you have these requests, sometimes the agency issues an opinion that yes, these documents should be released. No, they shouldn't. It was the first time in decades, decades and decades that the AG's office has issued no opinion on whether a document should be disclosed or not. Because it's not helpful. Exactly. (laughs) It's not helpful. And in this case, it's pretty clear. Yes. (laughs) That it's, yeah. Okay. 
Finally, Paul's lawyers requested that they wanted a copy of the FBI's legal brief opposing the release of the records to Nate Paul. Mm -hmm. And Paxton again directed that the legal brief be released, and he wanted an opinion issued that the document could not be withheld. Well, no, wait, let's let's be clear here because I'm confused. We're talking about... We clearly are not talking about a brief that was filed in court, no, are we? This was a, no, this, this was, was an a confidential internal memorandum. Brief. Yeah, an internal memo the FBI provided to the Attorney General's office opposing disclosure of these law enforcement documents to Nate Paul. Yeah, I really hate that this is putting me in the position of defending the FBI. I know. Like... Don't you love when you have to defend a cop? Like, God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> But yeah, feel, obviously this torn. stuff shouldn't be disclosed. Yes, yeah, exactly. Scumbag. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Again, Paxton's deputy ultimately prevails and refuses to provide these documents or issue an opinion that the documents must be produced. Here's what's interesting. Interesting. Paxton had his staff provide him unredacted copies of all the documents that Nate Paul's lawyers requested. Oh, where do we think those went? We know Paxton had copies of the documents that lawyer, his lawyers requested and never received. We know that these decisions from the attorney general's office not to provide these documents could have been challenged in court, and they never were they by Nate Paul's lawyers. We also found out that recently, that days after he obtained the copies of these unredacted documents, Paxton had an aide hand deliver a manila envelope full of documents in it to Nate Paul in person at Nate Paul's office. Okay. So we don't know what's in that envelope, but we know it was the only time someone from the attorney general's office who worked for Paxton delivered something by hand to Nate Paul. Wow. I wonder what it could be. Exactly. Probably just like some cool baseball cards or something. Exactly. Or, you know, like a cool story he read in the Wall Street Journal and wanted Nate Paul to yeah. read too. He clipped he like it out for him. Hand snipped it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's one of the times that he assisted Nate Paul, allegedly. Now we're going to discuss the charity lawsuit again that we were just talking about in Texas. And I didn't know this, but it makes sense. In Texas, the attorney general's office is notified each time a charity is involved in litigation. And the office can then choose to be involved in that lawsuit. And it's very rare when this happens. It's maybe once or twice a year. And the attorney general's office has only ever become involved to support the charity. Basically, they step in when the nonprofit may not have the funding or the resources to protect its interests in litigation. And it's their job to, yeah, it's their job to backstop and ensure that the charitable funds are protected and charities have the legal support they need to enforce their rights in litigation if they need to. I'm a little skeptical about that, but okay. (laughs) Mostly because, I mean, there are a lot of, it's not hard to form a charitable organization. Oh, yeah. I mean, it could be like, easily be done weaponized. It. It's, yeah, yeah exactly. it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, depending on what the particular organization are, the IRS guidelines related to basically everything you can do with that organization are very, very onerous for some of these, precisely because people use it as a way to hide wealth, to transfer wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, and and to not to not truly use it for a charitable purpose for the public at large. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm a little surprised to hear that. You know, if you file your 501c3 paperwork with the IRS or whatever, that you get free legal counsel from the state of Texas. That's that's a nice Benny. Well, only once or twice a year do they actually do this, so they pick and choose their opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, so. 
maybe giving away the answer here, but guess whether the attorney general's office came involved in the litigation between Paul and the charity. Well, that's the thing is that it's also Mm -hmm. ripe for abuse, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of, for example, religious charities. Yeah. Or movement charities based on some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if you've got somebody like Paxton who already has a very clear political and religious agenda, then you're not, it's not like all charities are treated equally, right? When mm-hmm. it comes to who's provided the defense. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but that's, that's very interesting to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, initially, the attorney general's office refused to get involved when the charity filed the lawsuit against Nate Paul. But then Paul asked Paxton to help in June of 2020, and the attorney general's office intervened. But they didn't intervene on the charity's side. They intervened this on Nate Paul's right. side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this seems backwards. <laughs> Paxton was personally involved and even assisted Paul and his lawyer setting up mediation dates with the other side. And they actually, the attorney general's office filed this uh, motion for stay pending mediation. So they basically made the court stay all proceedings, which harmed the charity while they went to mediation over an amount that was already agreed on. Like, remember, there was already an agreed amount. This was mediation to come to a new amount that they had already had an agreement on. Right. But the value is that the charity knows that the attorney general of the state of Texas is on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, that's where the value is. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's intimidation and threats based on his official office. Exactly. It's look who's the signature block. This is essentially Paxton was prepared to go to court himself and argue on behalf of Paul, but his aides were able to talk him out of this. And I really wish they hadn't. Because it's been years since Paxton has been in court, like at least since the 90s, because that's when he went in-house. So Mm -hmm. it would have been incredible (laughs) to hear how that went. The media uncovered emails from Nate Paul to lawyers in the attorney general's office. And Paul would accuse the attorney general lawyers from, quote, backing out of things you've agreed to do and cowering and being biased and accusing them of highly unprofessional behavior. So basically haranguing these lawyers that were... Yeah, exactly. In late fall 2020, the attorney general's office office very abruptly and unexpectedly withdrew all involvement in that case. And not only was it late fall 2020, it was the day after all the seven lawyers reported their concerns to HR and Paxton that they withdrew all involvement. Exactly. (laughs) Another way that he's assisted Nate Paul, we talked a lot last episode about legal opinions that the attorney general's office can issue that are interpretations of Texas law and how the attorney general can use them to shape policy. So we're back in 2020 and the pandemic was at its height. Can you summarize for non-Texans Paxton's general attitude regarding COVID restrictions? Fuck your COVID restrictions. <laughs> what fl- what COVID? We don't believe that no, around here. <laughs> COVID, COVID hasn't existed in Texas since like fall of 2020 when they sent all the kids back to school with absolutely no precautions whatsoever in place to stop the spread of COVID-19. And I think they start, they stopped tracking it in schools in sometime in like 2021, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it has long been the project of the attorney general's office to stamp out any kind of self-regulation by local municipalities. And one of the great challenges early in the pandemic, if you had a multi-jurisdictional employer that you were working for as mm-hmm. in-house counsel, was the multitude of regulations that 
immediately proliferated yeah, overnight just related to COVID of different obligations. Right. You might have a location that was in a city, in a county, and you've got orders from the city, you've got orders from the county, you've got orders from mm-hmm. the state, you've got CDC guidance, you've got the local health department, all that kind of stuff. And the various counties here in Texas reacted very differently. I mean, I yes. remember Dallas put into place some very strict restrictions on what businesses could be open and for what purposes. Collin County, on the other hand, which is the where where Paxton's beloved Dairy, Dairy Queen, Queen <laughs> is located. Mm-hmm. I remember, and I remember this so clearly because my mom lived in Collin County and she has various health issues which make her particularly susceptible to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. In addition to being old, she actually came and lived with us in Dallas County mm-hmm. because we were like, I-, I don't know, like, is it safe for you to go pick up medica- your, your medications yep. at CVS? Because the Collin County commissioner had entered an order basically saying, this was spring 2020, saying, Anybody who can work needs to get back to work. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not shutting anything down. Yeah. And you need to get your asses back to work. And so for us personally, it was like, well, there there were so many unknowns around COVID and how it was transmitted and how easily and how much contact you need. Nobody knew all that stuff in the spring of 2020. And so for us, it was like, well, I don't know. Is it safe for you to go through the CVS drive through Is it safe for you? And like a lot of these grocery stores hadn't really figured out their curbside stuff yet. We didn't even you know, know how it was spread at that point. Like, so I mean, yeah, uh, people yeah. were spraying down yes. <laughs> Amazon packages and all that kind of stuff. And so my mom came and lived with us specifically as a result of that order. But for the cities and the counties that actually attempted to take precautions against COVID-19, the attorney general's office took the position that that wasn't permitted, I think, by the Texas Constitution or that mm-hmm. it violated other rights or whatever. And they have taken concerted efforts to stamp that out. And that is part of a long tradition of resistance to local mm-hmm. self-regulation because various municipalities and cities and counties have attempted things like minimum wage laws in mm-hmm. their jurisdictions. Non-discrimination ordinances. <laughs> Non-discrimination ordinances, but probably one of the most important ones that got squelched was paid sick time where Mm -hmm. if you operated a business in san antonio or dallas or austin was one of them mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. you had to provide sick time for your workers paid sick time which shouldn't be terribly controversial but of course the attorney general's office took the position that none of those municipalities could do that and the most recent example of that is the city of dallas had an ordinance requiring that outdoor workers, including construction workers, mm-hmm. be given periodic work, uh, water breaks, mm-hmm. which given that our heat index for most of this summer has stayed close to 120 degrees because global warming. It was only 106 today, actual temperature outside. Who yeah. needs water? <laughs> the heat index was like 113 degrees. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how important that is to protect those workers. I mean, literally protect their lives and their health. Mm-hmm. And uh, that got squashed. And yep. the attorney general took the position that you can't do that. I mean, this is this is the horrific shit that we live with. Yes. Where our state level government takes the position that people working in the heat all day, building our buildings, mowing our lawns are not entitled to the water that they need 
to keep them alive. And they're just dependent on the largesse of the people that they work for in ensuring that they the are taken care of. The that you will provide your workers with sufficient water breaks. It's fucking disgusting. Yes. But at the same time, at the same side of their mouth, they're preaching about local politics and how right. it's, you know, uh, we need local control over these things, not the federal government. But the minute they exercise local control, a step out of line, which is, by the way, all of the metropolitan areas, which are blue, that's when they get squelched. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, <laughs> I'm very familiar. That's why in summer of 2022, everyone was completely perplexed that the Attorney General's office issued an opinion that COVID-19 protocols required the stop of all in-person foreclosure sales. Hmm. It was issued very quickly. Paxton told his deputy <laughs> on a Friday Wait, night. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Paxton told his deputy on a Friday night to write an opinion over the weekend stopping the sale of in-person foreclosure sales. And that opinion was issued at 1 a.m. on Sunday. Ah, yes. The sign of a well-reasoned, legitimate opinion. (laughs) The request and issuance were also completely at odds with how legal opinions are issued from the attorney general's office. I didn't know this either. What the law requires is that all these requests must begin, uh, all these opinions must begin with a written request from a lawmaker or state agency official that the attorney general offered this interpretation of Mm -hmm. the law. Paxton told his deputy that he'd received the request over the phone and provided the number of the person making the request for the legal opinion. And in the law, by the way, it says explicitly it must be written. Sure. Um, But he didn't provide the name. So the deputy called that number and the person who answered the phone was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never done that. Who are you? Oh, my God. After oh the my opinion- God, this, I mean, this is what blows my mind is this is so brazen, but it's these so, are the actions yes. of somebody who has been protected and doesn't think that there are going to be any consequences for him ever. Oh, strap in KP. <laughs> oh my God, I can't handle it. <laughs> After the opinion was issued, State Senator Brian Hughes, a Republican, issued a written request for an opinion on foreclosure sales during the pandemic. But then when he was asked about that request, he was like, oh, yeah, Paxton asked me to submit the request and provided the wording for it and just basically told me I need to send this in to him to request this opinion. Oh, my God. Yeah. Paper over. Mm-hmm. Make I mean, essentially fabricating yes. the need for an opinion. The original version of the opinion issued by the deputy found that in-person foreclosure sales did not violate COVID-19 protocols, but Paxton personally told the deputy that the opinion needed to find a way to stop these sales. So what's going on with Nate Paul? What's what's up? What's going on? This was issued on August 1st. Um, Sunday at 1 a.m. was August 1st. What year is this? 2020. Okay. The Tuesday after the opinion was issued that weekend, Nate Paul's lawyers used it to prevent foreclosure from occurring on 13 properties that were subject to in-person sales on Tuesday after oh! after it was issued. So it was the first Tuesday of the month, and his lawyers were able to use that to stop foreclosures like, on 13 ah, places. Ah, 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 look ah, what, look what I got. Mm-hmm. So he came, he came to his rescue at that wow. point. Okay. We're going to go back for a moment to September 2018. Wait, can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going to go there. What What is he getting from Nate Paul? Oh, there. we're going to talk about that. Don't worry. God we'll damn get it, there. I want to know now. Okay. okay. In September 2018, Paxton's campaigning for yet another one of his attorney general elections. He calls together a small group of his top staff in his Austin campaign office. The staff are all sitting there. Ken and Angela, his wife, walk into the office holding hands. Paxton tells the group that he had an affair with a woman who was an aide for a Texas state senator, but he's since ended it and he's recommitted to his marriage. Wait. (laughs) 
He's telling his coworkers this? Well, his campaign staff. Okay. Basically, it was going to come out. This is and so, so awkward. He's, he's yeah, so he's like, we got to get ahead While of holding this. his wife's hand. Oh my this. God, this is yeah. so cringe. In 2019, that woman, whose name has never become public, left her job as a Senate aide, and Paxton recommended to Nate Paul that Paul should hire her at World mm-hmm. Class. Paul testified that he did hire the woman, ultimately, as a project manager at his company. Both Paxton and Paul have denied it was at Paxton's request or as a favor to him. But others who have talked to Paxton said he told them basically it occurred that way. Yeah, of course. Nate Paul requested other favors from Paxton, and Paxton repeatedly delivered. While Paul was under under investigation from the FBI, he reached out to Paxton for assistance with that. What kind of assistance do you think an attorney general, a state attorney general, could provide to someone under FBI investigation? I mean, probably insight into the nature of that investigation, including like who the witnesses are and what evidence they have and what they're doing, what they're planning on doing. And maybe like, could you tell them to go away? You're just not broken enough, KP, to be a politician. No, what? (laughs) We'll get there. So Paul's claims we talked about he has he has this conspiracy theory. That he Mm -hmm. believes everyone is out to get him. So he believes that there is a Texas businessman, someone who owns multiple car dealerships. He also owns $43 million of Paul's debt. Mm. And his plan, according to Paul, is that he's going to somehow use it to seize $200 million worth of Paul's properties. So here's this grand plan that this businessman had to buy Paul's debt and consolidate it into a bankruptcy case. And in that case, the businessman would have this illegal side deal with the bankruptcy judge. And the judge would then force Paul's companies into receivership. But the receiver would also be in on that side deal. And then the receiver would sell the properties at auction at a discount to the businessman. So you side. We have. Well, yeah. So because, hang on. Because that's, no, 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 no. No, I'm not going to hang on. Because that's. <laughs> That is the thing about every single conspiracy theory is it's like, have none of you ever organized a surprise birthday party or like tried to keep gossip, like juicy gossip to yourselves? Like it doesn't work this way. And I, mean, I, I guess that, unless you're the DWP, but like, you know, ultimately all comes Ultimately down. it didn't work that way though, because they were right. all, yes. And that's what I was going to ask you. You and I have some familiarity with the bankruptcy process and federal judges as a whole. How likely would you rate a conspiracy theory that this federal judge, receiver, and creditors all have a secret side deal against the debtor? Negative a thousand percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul believes it strongly, and he tells this theory to Paxton and requests Paxton's help investigating this theory. And Paxton jumps on board immediately. First, he personally approaches the Travis County DA, that's in Austin, and wants to set up a meeting with Nate Paul, Paul's lawyer, and the local prosecutors and DA. At this point, the DA's like, listen, you, Paul, Nate Paul has named my employees as part of this grand conspiracy that he has, so we're not going to get involved in this at all if he thinks right. we're perpetrators. If you want this investigated, you have to handle it. Sure. Paxton then met with several of his deputies in the attorney general's office and set up meetings between him, his deputies, Nate Paul and Nate Paul's lawyer. His deputies that were in this meeting were later two of the seven who became whistleblowers. Mm -hmm. They investigated Nate Paul's claims and shockingly found no evidence of his conspiracy theories. And 
He had also alleged, you know, the warrants issued against him were doctored and forged, and they sent them to like forensic experts, and were like, "Now, nah, oh my fine. god, yes, mm-hmm. what a waste of time and resources." Truly, pa- Paxton pushes back against this and becomes extremely angry in the meeting that they've concluded that there's no basis to this conspiracy theory, and at the same time, Nate Paul is angry and took that opportunity to dress down the attorney general staff as if they were his own employees, according to people who were in the meeting. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a man who gets his way generally by mm-hmm. bullying people. It sounds well, like he thinks he thinks he has the state attorney general yeah, in his exactly. pocket. His office isn't cooperating him with him. So in September 2020, Paxton immediately hired another lawyer to look into all of Nate Paul's claims. And like personally, or is yeah. the state of Texas paying for this? Oh, just wait. Uh, this lawyer is basically attempting to stall the pending bankruptcy cases and the law enforcement investigations that Paul was involved in. And it's not just any lawyer that Paxton hires. According to Paxton, his staff was, quote, working to impede his investigation into Paul's claims. So he had no choice but to hire another lawyer outside the office as an independent to look into it. Again, uh, if your staff is not doing what you tell them to. I mean, that's insubordination. So Mm -hmm. fire them. I mean, if this is truly legitimate, why didn't you fire or discipline your staff? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, it's true. The lawyers in the attorney general's office didn't think the investigation warranted anything. And in fact, their emails going among them basically saying this conspiracy lacks any good faith factual basis. So let me introduce you to the lawyer that Paxton hired to investigate Influential Texas businessmen, federal judges, law enforcement agencies, and state law enforcement agencies, Brandon Kamak. Kamak. So, KP, you're hiring a lawyer to investigate these federal law enforcement agencies, federal officials, state officials. Describe to me the type of lawyer that you would want for this investigation. I want a former U.S. attorney, assistant U.S. attorney or other prosecutor. That's what I want. Kamek is close to what you said. He's never done anything other than DUI cases in Harris County. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As defense, by the way, not prosecution, defense. (laughs) Well, he's clearly well-suited for the job. What was he getting paid? Like $600 an hour or something insane? $300 an hour. He was a law school graduate in the class of 2015. Cool. Um, His most profile legal dispute was in 2018 when he sued his father, also a lawyer, for $200,000. Always a good sign. Claiming that his dad physically assaulted him in court. In return, his dad accused him of embezzling from their law firm, and Kamek dropped the lawsuit immediately. Wow. What a couple of great guys. The AP reached out to his dad, and his dad's response was that his son had, quote, zero relevant legal experience, and said, Brandon doesn't even have the ability to do what Paxton was asking him to do. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. Dad's yeah. sounds like an accurate assessment from dad. When asked about the hiring, Kamek said, quote, it's an opportunity for me to do something different with my career and was happy that Paxton picked him over the candidates like former federal prosecutors. So how is he connected to Paxton? Why does he get this job? Well, he just happened to be, and I'm sure this is a coincidence and had absolutely nothing to do at all with his choosing. He was besties with Nate Paul's lawyer. Ah, 
Uh, and but they really just do need like a patsy, right? Yep. I mean, yeah. And he's he's a 34 year old DUI defense attorney, and he's investigating the FBI and state agencies. I mean, I think we need to use some giant air quotes there. Investigating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he is besties with Nate Paul's lawyer. Nate recommended him to Paxton. Uh, at the time, Nate Paul's lawyer was chair of the Houston Bar Association's criminal law section, and Kamek was in a leadership role in that group. And the two were Facebook friends and would post pictures together on Facebook. Paxton hired Kamek outside the usual process for hiring third parties, which usually required the approval of up to 10 people. Only Paxton knew about this hire. So he is being paid by the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. He, it was so secretive. What? Yes. <laughs> that is bananas. Oh, just wait. It no! Was- <laughs> no, this is already completely beyond the pale. It was so secretive that the deputy who was in charge of the attorney general's criminal division met with Paxson while they thought that Kamek had not been hired yet. And the deputy told Paxson, listen, I refuse to approve this contract. This lawyer isn't needed. Our investigation found no evidence of a crime. And then the deputy wrote down several pages of reasons why Kamek shouldn't be hired, including that he thought Paxton was, quote, exposing himself to potential criminal liability by hiring him. Ow, ow. It was at this point that Paxton told his deputy that Kamek had already been hired two weeks prior and he already (laughs) needed to be paid. (laughs) He's like, BTW, surprise. (laughs) This was the first time that anyone outside of Paxton knew that he'd been hired. And the deputy told Paxton, basically, I refuse to have anything to do with this, this process. I refuse to supervise him. I refuse to engage with him. And Paxton said, don't worry, I will. Wow. Okay. So Paxton hired Kamek as, quote, outside counsel, who is independent, but his agreement with the attorney general's office says that he can only investigate as directed by the attorney general's office and had no authority to bring charges or participate in any prosecution activities. Well, yeah, no shit. He does DUI defense. Yes. Like, give me a fucking break. I read through the contract. It ex- contains some extremely common and relevant allegations that are probably in your engagement agreement as well. He has to represent and warrant that he does not and will not boycott Israel at any point in time. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. This is mm-hmm. Texas right now. Yeah. And he also has to represent and warrant that none of the funds he receives may be distributed to any entities that perform abortions or any entities with common ownership with entities that perform abortions. I was going to say, is there like an anti-China provision in there, too? Because there that's, wasn't that's yet. another bugaboo yeah. lately. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't yet. But the agreement specifies that he was hired to investigate, quote, complaints of potential criminal violations made by say, certain state and federal employees. So Kamek gets to work and he starts sending out grand jury subpoenas to 39 companies and entities. Oh my God. This is <laughs> such a crazy abuse of power. And there are companies like Amplify Credit Union, who was then in litigation with Nate Paul over debts that Paul had Wait, so, with the credit union. <laughs> so as outside counsel for the state attorney general's office he is empowered to issue grand jury subpoenas versus those coming from an actual attorney internal to the ag well that's That's where no that's see that's the thing he's not (laughs) oh okay i was like wait (laughs) because that makes no fucking sense whatsoever (laughs) nope he's not cool all right great 
the CEO of that Amplify Credit Union said that Kamek delivered the subpoena in person and identified it, identified himself as a prosecutor, which he oh, said, yeah, oh, which he said they found quote, very unusual because they've never had a prosecutor hand deliver a subpoena to them. Yeah, it's like, that's not how this works. <laughs> because he he doesn't know how it works. He probably thinks you have to draw like little pictures on it to deliver right. it. <laughs> Pretty oh quickly God. after he issued those grand jury subpoenas, again thirty nine and all. And almost immediately, the deputies at the attorney general's office quashed the subpoenas um, in court. And the attorney general's deputy told the judge that issued, you know, granted these subpoenas, that Kamek was not authorized to act as a special prosecutor. And this is so awkward. Yeah, he had to go and the attorney general deputy basically had to go and be like, he is no, he's not authorized to do this. His agreement simply says he's required to investigate and write a report. And it would be like, if you were hired to conduct an external investigation and you started issuing subpoenas to like your client's competitors. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Kamek had signed the subpoenas as special prosecutor of the <gasps> office of the attorney general, <gasps> yeah, which is not a thing that exists. <laughs> that sounds bad. <laughs> Kamek- Are you going to tell me at some point whether he's been disciplined or anything? Uh, or does well, he just like yeah hold hold your, don't hold your breath on that one <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't have high hopes yeah. but like i'm cozy, so i still want to know he also issued those subpoenas on banks that had nothing to do with paul's crazy conspiracy theory but they were involved in other ways in the federal investigation that paul was facing so oh incredible and some Curious. of them some of them were banks involved in the charity litigation as well that we discussed and Cur- curiouser and curiouser and remember that manila envelope the unredacted documents were one of the only places that a person could have gotten the list of entities combined that received all of those subpoenas hmm, okay so we're back to the ag deputies they reiterated multiple times at this point to paxton about how improper they believed it to be for the attorney general to investigate federal authorities, including a federal judge. And at this point, it's now October, and the deputies have started revolting. And this is when they provide their notice Mm -hmm. and the information to the FBI. On October 9th, Paxton dropped the investigation he was handling on behalf of Nate Paul. And your question, the lawyer, or sorry, the contract with Brandon Kamek, provided that it would be up to $25,000 for him to engage in these investigations paid for Mm. out of taxpayer funds. Wow. You asked this question, so let's dive into it. What was Paxton getting for this? And that is the question that I kept asking as I learned more and more. So we know Paul only donated about $25,000 to Paxton's campaign. It's got to be property, right? Well, it's yeah, be real estate. we've learned that Paul was employing Paxton's mistress um, because he at the time, you know, he said his affair was over. He reignited his affair in 2020 and Paul was employing her in San Antonio. So she was only an hour away from Austin if he ever wanted to visit her. And Paul was funding the renovation of Paxton's home in Austin. so the project started as repairs for water damage but turned into a full renovation of the home floor to ceiling and during the renovation angela wanted to replace the granite countertops in the kitchen and the contractor replied that the work would cost about twenty thousand dollars and told angela quote i'll have to check with nate on that about whether they would do it (laughs) 
Okay. Yeah. So Pat, so Kenny and Angie were not paying for this. Yeah. They're getting their home renovated for free by Nate Paul. Mm-hmm. And it's not a home that they live in, by the way. It's a home that they rent out as well. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's nice. But it also, I mean, ki- kitchen renovations get fairly pricey, but that also seems like a um, a fairly paltry amount to me to like marshal the full resources mm-hmm. of your office to investigate a federal judge and an ongoing federal investigation. Yeah, it's, I agree. Paxton has attempted to rebut the allegations that Nate Paul paid for these home renovations and his lawyers have shown journalists a bank statement in 2020 for a wire transfer from Paxton paying $120,000 for the home renovations. But that wire transfer, it was one of those things where it just created more questions than it answered because the wire transfer was dated October 1st, which was mm-hmm. the day that Paxton's deputies delivered their letter to the attorney general and him uh-huh. and publicly stated that they had reported Paxton to the FBI for his improper use of office to aid Nate Paul. Yeah, so basically he's like, oh shit, I better like paper, like this looks yes. bad. I better mm-hmm. paper this up. Like let's whip out a, yeah, okay. And the payment was to a company that was associated with Nate Paul. Basically, the company didn't incorporate in Texas until three weeks after it received the wire transfer. It had existed in other states previously, and the trustee in prior bankruptcy actions for Paul's companies had found that the company was used for fraudulent transfers that Paul would routinely use to avoid bankruptcy accounting, essentially. Cool. And so it received this wire payment, and then it was dissolved shortly after the payments were made, and it's no longer a Texas entity. So that is basically what we think Paxton was getting in return, or what we know, at least, Paxton was getting in return from Nate Paul. There is some good news, though. Given all this background, Paxton ensured that his office investigated the claims made by the whistleblowers, and he had an internal investigation, and believe it or not, it cleared him of all wrongdoing. Oh, wow, that's so Mm -hmm. great. I'm sure we can totally trust that process and outcome. The report concluded that the whistleblowers had, quote, no basis for their allegations and that there was no evidence that he was abusing the office based on all those relations, based on his relationship to Nate Paul. Yeah, just a bunch of jagoffs, like whatever. Whatever, these assholes, they don't know what you're doing. Yeah. That's the background. Let's discuss the fallout. In late September, that's when the Attorney General's office learns of these subpoenas issued by Kamek in the Attorney General's name. And at this point, the leadership of the office, minus Paxton, is in chaos. They're concerned, apparently so, and rightfully, that Kamek had gone rogue. And basically, they have no idea what authority he may be acting under issuing all I of mean, these subpoenas. He's just like this dipshit out there. <laughs> pew, 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 firing off air quotes again. Yeah. Grand jury subpoenas. Like, that is the action of somebody who has never once actually seen a grand jury subpoena. Yes. <laughs> because I swear to God, like, you and I have both seen them. I mean, it's just a part of doing business, yes. whatever. Um, you, like, <laughs> you would never <laughs> see one of those and then be like, oh, the attorney general has hired me as outside counsel. I, like, I'll just pop off a grand boop, jury boop, subpoena. Boop. Tell me all the stuff about Nate Paul. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Hey, bestie. Let's yeah. <laughs> GJ, GJ here. <laughs> Gonna need you to give me all the hot goss. No bus guys. No cap. Tell me what's up with yeah. me, Paul. <laughs> this investigation is bussin'. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, Paxton still lives and works in McKinney, so he's not in the office or available for discussions. 
they finally get in touch with Paxton, and that's when he tells them that he's approved all of Kamek's work so far. One of the deputies immediately sends a cease and desist to Kamek, revoking any authority that Kamek may have as outside counsel or representing himself as the special prosecutor to the office oh of God. the attorney general. This Can you imagine? Just like so cringe. Yeah. That deputy having to write that cease and desist letter and being like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, <laughs> Knowing that your boss has basically personally hired this guy. Yeah. That's the but day whatever that- he's like he's working in McKinney like five hours away. Mm-hmm. Work again, air quotes. Working, working. Mm-hmm. That is the day that the seven deputies go to the FBI with their allegations. Mm-hmm. By the end of October, after they'd made their allegations, October first, all of them were gone from the office. Three had resigned, two were fired, and two were placed on leave. Wow. Yeah. And as you would naturally assume, after that happened, they sued Paxton in the office of the attorney general, alleging that they were fired for reporting misconduct to law enforcement, which is retaliation under the state's whistleblowing law. Paxton- I wonder how that works for attorneys, though, because I know in private practice, like once you if say if you're a general counsel, once you threaten to sue or actually sue your client, I mean, you you have created an inherent irreconcilable yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. conflict. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. And the client is entitled to remove you. I mean, yeah, yeah, but. That's probably too advanced of a legal argument for Paxton because they haven't raised that one yet. (laughs) Paxton immediately moved to dismiss the lawsuit, arguing that the whistleblower law doesn't apply to elected officials, basically. He says. Wait. (laughs) I feel like I just hallucinated. Can you say that again? Because I really just I like evaporated from my body. Yeah, he says that elected officials aren't subject to the whistleblower law. Um, it's very familiar. It's very familiar You're to his argument. You're saying these words. <laughs> Allegedly, they have meaning. It's a lot like his argument that we talked about, what, last episode, where he said, you know, well, I can't be sanctioned by the bar because I'm a public servant and should be held to a lower standard. Right. It's okay. similar to that. And his argument. Again, I feel like you only feel free to make these kinds of arguments where you believe that, like, you're going to be protected and yes. nothing's going to happen. What's the worst that could happen? Exactly. Right. His argument boiled down to that as an elected official, he needs to retain the ability to control his staff. And that's why the whistleblower law doesn't apply to him. And it's a ridiculously silly argument because. All managers, all employers need the ability to control their staff. And there is nothing special about elected officials with that. And in fact, again, Ken, (laughs) you probably should be held to a higher standard because Mm -hmm. you are entrusted with public funds and executing extremely sensitive public responsibilities. And there's Mm -hmm. so much power that comes with being in the AG's office as he is amply demonstrated. Power that you can abuse as he is demonstrated. (laughs) The district and appellate court agreed with what we were saying and they denied his motion to dismiss. The appellate court started out with a summary of the Texas Whistleblower Act and basically noted it was created to ensure lawful conduct by those who direct and conduct state business to correct violations of the law by government employees that harm the public good or society and to protect public employees who promote these purposes. And that's, if you're reading that as the intro to the opinion, you have a pretty good idea which way the court's going to hold and mm-hmm. it's not going to be in favor of Ken Paxton. The parties eventually agree to a tentative settlement that resulted in the whistleblowers being awarded $3.3 million 
And Paxton had to publicly apologize and, quote, accept that the plaintiffs acted in a manner they thought was right and apologize to referring to them as rogue employees. 3.3 million? Mm-hmm. This was and, after a jury trial or a bench trial? Do you know? Oh, no, no. This was a settlement. There's been no discovery in this. There's no, Holy there's been shit. no sworn testimony. <laughs> and the 3.3 million is going to be paid by Texas taxpayers? Is that? Oh, that's where we're getting to. That yeah. amount was contingent on Paxton getting the necessary approvals for funding from the legislature to pay that 3.3 million. Oh, okay. I definitely have seen some stuff about this where the legislature is like, wait. Why should taxpayers be responsible for your mm-hmm. fuck up and miss? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Continue. Okay. I'm getting so excited. <laughs> I'm so at, excited. At this point, Paxton formally requests the state use taxpayer funds to pay the settlement amount. Sure. And in this past legislative session, the legislature refused to approve yeah. the use of taxpayer funds. They're like, fuck so that. The, yeah. the exact point you said, you're like, no, fuck no. Um, right. the, the settlement, which was contingent on that approval was then voided. So the settlement is now done <laughs> and the case Oops. is now and the case is now pending before the Texas Supreme Court, which said it will ultimately decide whether the AG is subject to the Whistleblower Act. Oh, that's so that, fun. that's where it's sitting right now. While all this is pending, Maine Justice in Washington, D.C. has taken over the public corruption investigation that is currently pending against Ken Paxton. And they've taken that case from federal prosecutors here in Texas. And we know there have been subpoenas issued in that investigation. I'm getting such a justice boner right now. I was just about to say, are you getting a a DOJ investigation boner right now? (laughs) (laughs) Is this one of those career limiting moments for us? (laughs) Finally, we get to the actual impeachment on May 23rd, 2023, the house committee on general investigation sends Paxton's office a letter stating that there's a House investigation into Paxton using public money to settle with these whistleblowers and instructing instructing Paxton's office to preserve all relevant records. Which I'm sure they immediately did instead of just ran through the shredder. shredder. (laughs) Arthur Anderson shredding party from Enron. (laughs) That thing was probably smoking and weeping that day. Phones are being thrown into lakes. (laughs) Yes. The next day on the 24th, the House, the Texas House, held an hours-long hearing on the investigation into Paxton's whistleblower settlement. And that's where, like I said, most of the facts that we've talked about so far came from. The first witness said that almost every single witness I talked to, literally except one, and it was like tens and tens of witnesses that they refer to talking to, that was interviewed for the investigation, said that they were extremely fearful for retaliation from Paxton for cooperating in the investigation. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. We learned in that hearing then that even though Paxton came clean about his affair in 2018, he had restarted that affair around the time that he asked Paul to hire her for his company in San Antonio. And we learned that what he would do in 2020 is he would ditch his security detail and would leave meetings off of his agenda and he would be like unaccountable for hours and no one could find him. Mm -hmm. In late May 2023, the House unveiled their articles of impeachment against Paxton. And there were 20 of them. Kind of a lot. Kind of a lot. And so I won't read all of them word for word, but the first one was he ignored his official duty to protect charities when he intervened on behalf of Nate Paul in the charity litigation. Versus the charity. Yeah, versus the charity. (laughs) Like, you got it backwards, bud. 
And two, Paxton abused his official power to issue written opinions when they basically prevented Paul's properties from being subject to foreclosure. Three, he abused his power by directing his office to violate the law regarding public information requests, the document requests for Nate Paul. Four, abused his power to improperly obtain private information to release it for Paul's benefit. Five, abused his power by hiring a special prosecutor to investigate a baseless complaint. Six, ignored his duty by improperly firing whistleblowers in his office. Seven, by conducting a sham investigation into the whistleblower's allegations, so basically his internal investigation, (laughs) um, and having his office create a report containing false or misleading statements. Eight, abused his power attempting to settle the whistleblower's lawsuit, which delayed the discovery of facts and testimony at trial to his advantage and preventing voters from gaining knowledge regarding Paxton. Nine, accepted a bribe by Paul's employment of a woman with whom Paxton was having an extramarital affair. Ten, accepting a bribe by Paul to renovate Paxton's home. Eleven, instructed a justice by delaying his trial for federal securities fraud after being indicted by 2015, preventing voters from gaining knowledge regarding Paxton. So basically they said all of these shenanigans you've engaged in preventing your felony trial is -hmm. impeachable. Um obstructed justice by benefiting from a lawsuit filed by his political donor. The one that basically the lawsuit he filed that prevented the Collin County commissioner's court from paying the special prosecutors. Which again, I'm I'm just going to interject here. This goes back to what I mentioned in the last episode, which is what is out there because they were perfectly willing. These are crazy ass Texas Republicans in Mm -hmm. the Texas house who are signing on to these articles of impeachment. This isn't like a a democratic controlled Mm -hmm. house. And they were perfectly fine to sit by for years as he managed to screw around with Mm -hmm. this indictment and avoid responsibility for it and avoid going to trial and avoid paying for people, all that kind of stuff. Like, What's out there, man? I know. And I don't know was the tipping point that he was subverting federal investigations, allegedly, by providing Paul. I doubt it. Like, we I, hate the federal government yeah. here. This is Texas. <laughs> I don't know. I It's it's crazy that they they hit some tipping point, and we, no one can really identify what that is. And maybe it, they hinged on the $3.3 million and that was the final straw. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I mean, maybe mm-hmm. it's something as simple as like going after veteran employees, yeah, like in your own office that are the level of deputy and above, who yeah. are like seasoned political operatives, mm-hmm. basically executing on the political agenda. Like, hey, we can't have that. I don't know. I uh, yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see what evidence comes out at his impeachment trial. Oh yeah. Anyway, um, conti- sorry to interrupt. But oh no 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 no. I'm, I'm just like they. They were fine with this for years I was, I was until say, now. The next one is didn't accurately reveal his financial interest to the Texas Ethics Commission. He's been doing that for years. We don't care about that. Yeah. Give me a break. Like, we don't care about that. He lied in the report regarding the whistleblower allegations, tried to conspire with other people for actions detailed in the articles of impeachment, abused his office power by having his office act to benefit him or other people ignored his duties, unfit for holding office, and abused or neglected his power to prevent lawful governance and obstruct justice, basically. And, and maybe what it is, honestly, I mean, it'll be fascinating to see what evidence comes out at the trial. And maybe there's a lot out there. We know 
we know now, based on what you've said, that there's an ongoing federal mm-hmm. investigation. Sometimes that takes a very long time. But, you know, if enough people get interviewed by the FBI, maybe you're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Can't have yeah, this guy. exactly. <laughs> but maybe it's also, hey, buddy, you clearly have misunderstood what your role is for the state of Texas. <laughs> you did not like, understand the assignment here. <laughs> like, you're supposed to be a lapdog of mm-hmm. the Republican Party and good job suing Obama and Joe Biden and, you know, rabble rousing about the wall and illegal immigrants and hating on trans people and all that kind of stuff. But like, you know. Cool it with the bribes, buddy. <laughs> that's not your, that's not mm-hmm. your, your role. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he's getting like too big for his britches, basically. I don't know. It's fascinating. Yeah, I don't know what that, like we said, I don't know what that tipping point was, but the House voted 121 to 23 in favor of impeaching Paxton, which is basically mm. a landslide. That's um, crazy, yeah. Which he was then, and like you said, it's not like it's a Democrat-controlled House, um, which meant that he was then suspended from office. So can you guess Paxton's response so far? Have you seen this? <laughs> no, it's a, like a giant conspiracy or something. Oh, yep. It's a compl- a politically motivated sham and he called on his supporters to march on the Capitol in protest. He said, okay. <laughs> I mean, it worked in the last playbook for him, so why not try it again? I know, uh, but you say that, it, it, and, and I agree totally, but I think what was one moment that was really telling to me is there was some local Democratic caucus here in North Texas from a county that is very historically deeply red, and they somebody within that organization was like, we need to go picket for Ken Paxton, like justice for Mm -hmm. Ken Paxton. And they voted not to. And that really struck me because those are grassroots supporters. Those are, those are like, yeah, there's something there. He's lost those people. Those are the true believers. Mm -hmm. And he has lost those true believers which again is totally wild in light of just all of the outrageous conduct they were willing to put up with as long as he delivered on abortion and delivered mm-hmm. on um you know the abortion pill and all the all this other stuff yeah um it's funny you say that he lost the grassroots so who do you know who has come out publicly in support of Paxton since his impeachment it's like liberty for all or so what are these oh well it's donald trump donald trump jr stephen miller and ted cruz oh my god (laughs) 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 i remember when we discussed all those witnesses who said they were afraid of paxton's retribution Mm -hmm. there was a representative charlie garen who was a republican who said that several members of the House, while on the floor of the House, received telephone calls from Paxton personally, threatening them with political consequences in the next election if they voted to impeach him. So literally, oh, cool. he was doing it while they Witness were voting tampering. for Yeah, exactly. While they were voting for impeachment. That's cool. That leads us to the trial in the Senate, as you said. So I'm sure people have heard about it, but until this episode, I didn't understand exactly how the trial works in the Texas Senate. The House appointed 12 representatives, seven Republicans, and five Democrats to serve as impeachment managers, and they're basically the prosecutors in the trial in the Senate. Of those 12, 11 have law degrees, and then those 12 are the ones that hired Rusty Hardin and Dick DeGarren as impeachment prosecutors as well. Who are very well-known names in Texas. Exactly. 
The Senate appointed a committee, and that committee wrote rules and procedures for the trial, and the trial is set to begin September 5th. Hey, wait, I have a question for you. Yes? That I'm sure it's on your outline, but I'm just going to throw a... Uh, it's probably in the plan I'm, here. I'm going to guess it's the next bullet that I had in my outline, but you go ahead and I'll tell you if you're right. Hey, hey, JJ, friend, the Texas Senate is trying this case. Mm-hmm. Angela Paxton is a Texas senator. She sure is. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, awkward, but B, what are they doing about her? So for those who don't know, there are 31 Texas senators and Angela Paxton is one of those 31 She vowed that she would not recuse herself from the trial. (laughs) She's like, listen, I'm going to make this as awkward as fuck for everybody (laughs) in this room. Because you know they're going to be talking about this affair and how Mm -hmm. he managed to leverage his position to get his mistress, you know, whatever benefits she wanted. So that's really telling in and of itself that Angie's basically like, like she's staked out her loyalties. Well, the Senate, as soon as she said that, the Senate created a rule that said, no, you don't get to vote. So yeah. she she can listen, but she no. doesn't get to vote now. I mean, it's still going to be awkward with oh, her awkward sitting there. That she's sitting there. Yeah. And by the way, there's no way I would be sitting there. I do not want to be there if I'm her, but I more power to you, I guess. She wants to be there. She will be there. The vote needs a pa- ta- needs to pass by a two-thirds margin. So basically, if all the Democrats vote to convict, then at least nine Republicans need to con- vote to convict as well. The leader of the Texas Senate is our Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, Dan who Patrick. is a Trash. former right-wing radio host firebrand turned Lieutenant Governor. Dan and Paxton are usually tied at the hip when it comes to politics. Paxton has an outstanding $125,000 loan that Paxton, yes! that Patrick made to him in 2018. This is the craziest yes. thing I have ever heard. And Patrick has basically said, oh, no, that won't affect the way I handle this trial in the Senate. So he's doing that while Paxton is indebted to him. <laughs> sure. It's totally cool. Paxton has hired Houston attorney Tony Busby. To represent him in the trial. Are you familiar with Tony Busby? No, I know it's a well-known name in Texas. I'm not familiar with him, but I did see something that came out this week where he was barking about something and I was like, oh, that's incoherent. But that also strikes me as consistent with what I expect for the legal team for Ken Paxton. <laughs> so he's he for has been a legit lawyer. He started his practice at Sussman Godfrey. Um, Mm -hmm. which is a large firm in Texas and also the law firm who represented Dominion in their lawsuit against Fox News. He represented 21 of the women who alleged that they were sexually assaulted or harassed by then Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson as well. Mm -hmm. He was a Democrat, but became a Trump supporter and challenged the current Houston mayor, Sylvester Turner, in the election, most recent election and lost. He is most famous because he lives in River Oaks, which is like the real fancy Tony part of Houston. And pissed off all of his neighbors because he parked a Sherman tank in his front yard and just kept it it there. It's so embarrassing to live in Texas. (laughs) He eventually donated that tank to Texas A&M, but that's what he was famous for. The impeachment investigations continue, and we have learned more and more about Ken Paxton and his corruption. I mean, every couple of days, I'm texting you some Dallas Morning News article that's come out, like dribs and drabs, basically, about what we've learned or are learning about the investigation. Yep. 
According to the House's investigation, Paxton owns multiple homes in Texas, four homes in Texas, and two of those houses are subject to homestead exemption, which is not a thing that you're allowed to do. That's not how that works. You (laughs) have one homestead that is exempt from property taxes. (laughs) You cannot have multiple. We learned multiple people in the attorney general's office who discovered Paxton's affair and they would confront him with this information and then immediate they immediately they would receive massive pay raises and then would be transferred to new jobs with no responsibilities. Oh nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I know about his affair, so can I get one of those? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the span of ten months from July twenty twenty one to August twenty twenty two, Paxson and Angela spent almost three point five million buying six properties across the US. That included a five bedroom luxury lodge in Oklahoma a townhome and two rental single family homes in Florida, land in Utah and land in Maui. Okay. Because where does this money come from? And I've had this question. I've, here's a question I actually have been sitting on in the first episode. You talked about how Kenny and Angie met at Baylor. They were college Mm -hmm. students, but then he loaned her like more than a million dollars to, to, for her primary loan, because at the time it was like the most expensive primary in Texas. You said, Mm mm-hmm. And he loaned her something like seven figures. And I have learned by virtue of living in the Dallas area for decades at this point, (laughs) never to discount the power of family money. But I did wonder at that point, like, you know, this guy was in-house at JCPenney, which retailers don't pay Mm -hmm. a, a lot. Like he probably wasn't making a ton of money there compared to what you make as outside counsel, a partner at a law firm. Mm hmm. And then he went into state public service, which is essentially a part-time job because the legislature meets every yes. two years. And I, I don't think our legislators are getting paid like a ton. I think they get, I think they get paid honestly like seven thousand dollars. Yeah, like a it's year. something, it's something yeah. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then he, and then he's state attorney general, which again, like you're just not making as much money as you do in private practice. So I'm like, how, where did this money come from? And now you're telling me. They are, air quotes again, buying mm-hmm. millions of dollars in real estate. And many so of them, maybe many this of is them what in it cash. is. Maybe many of them in cash, too. Which is even crazier. Yes. Wait, do we wait? Do we know the time, the timing of when it was that they bought these properties? Because keep in mind, like in tw- in late 2020, interest rates were like 2%. Like, why are you paying cash? Yeah, July 2021 to April 2022. So some were in uh, cash and others were right. finance. So. A little bit higher then. But, but yeah, it's a good question. So. I mean, he was doing he was doing some securities stuff too. So he was clearly making money from working as a securities advisor. And he seems to have a lot of side hustles um, with investing. But you're right. No one can account for all the money that they apparently seem to have. They have four homes in Texas and six, these other six properties. So we're talking about 10 properties at a minimum that they have that we know of. Okay. This is my personal opinion. Let's be clear. That's the result of bribery, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the only reasonable explanation to me. And that would also explain why Texas Republicans have finally turned on him. Mm -hmm. Is like, look, if he's going to be the subject of a federal investigation, if there is a likelihood of jail time, we have a policy agenda prerogative, Mm -hmm. which has been clear for decades in Texas. Which is greater than this chuckle fuck sure, out here like, you have bribes. been a, you have been a <laughs> useful tool for mm-hmm. many years 
but we're not going to jeopardize the ideological prospect because you like having property in mm-hmm. Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Like, what? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think I, I agree with you. My opinion. I agree with you as well. That's our opinions. Our opinions. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning more about Paxton too, potentially awarding lucrative state contracts to companies in which he was an investor. Um, one company was called WatchGuard, and it had a longtime contract with the state. Paxton never disclosed his stake in the business in ethics filings. And again, you'll be very surprised to know that the WatchGuard CEO met Paxton through church and still supports him and thinks he's being railroaded. Of course. What's happened to Nate Paul since then? He's had What's a rough meet up to. He's had a rough go of it. The FBI arrested him in June of this year on eight counts of bank fraud and lying to financial institutions. Yeah, I mean, this was very shortly after the impeachment, right? Yeah, Yeah. so the impeachment was, I think, May 25th. He was arrested June 6th, Um, so very shortly after. According to the indictment, he allegedly provided doctored and forged documents to financial institutions, including Amplify Credit Union, where Brandon Mm -hmm. Kamek was hand-delivering subpoenas. Cool. To receive loans based on artificially high assets that he had and artificially low liabilities. So basically, he would ask for these loans. He would take screenshots of his bank balances and doctor them and provide them. And this is something where you can do this, but there is a VOE where a verification of earnings where you can then go back to the bank, either as the lender or the government, and actually see what the balance was on the day that he's saying that he had certain balances in an account. So for one example, he provided a screenshot of a bank balance where he said his account had more than $31 million in cash at the time. But the bank records show that his account at that time had less than $500,000. So slight material difference. Yeah, that feels fraudy. So that indictment was just unsealed. So it's very early in the process against him. And that's where we sit now. The House has until the end of August to issue and vote on additional articles of impeachment if they want. And if so, then those can be included in the trial in the Senate on September 5th. And at the same time, both sides are basically working up their cases for trial. And that's where we are. And I have a feeling we'll have more episodes as the trial unfolds because it is going to be a total shit show. (laughs) And... (laughs) unhinged i'm very excited yes (laughs) i I feel like i need to clear my calendar for september 5th Mm and like the following couple of weeks and i have to imagine i mean before that and during the trial we are going to be getting a lot of reporting i also Mm -hmm. have to imagine that there are reporters who are going through every single county's appraisal records to locate properties that Ken Paxton and Angela Paxton own and to trace the ownership mm-hmm. of those properties and track down to the extent that they were previously owned by corporate entities to determine mm-hmm. who owns those and kind of how money changed hands. I just I think there's probably a lot more out there. And I apologize for being carceral on Maine, but oh my God, I <laughs> I hope they go to jail. I hope Ken and Angela go to jail. Like, oh, no. And I know like, that's I, not part of like, that's not part of the impeachment, right? That's just no. like firing him. This but, is like, just, this is removing him from office. But yes, right, I am but- abolitionist except for this fucking guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I am just as anti-carceral like, I would feel as they pretty come, delight- except yeah, for it's him. Like, <laughs> it's like, I would feel pretty delighted if Ken and Angie had to go to jail. That'd be okay. Oh, yeah. 100%. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so... My birthday is September 4th, and I can't tell you how excited I am. This is like a gift to myself to watch this. (laughs) 
but that's where we are. And I, a hundred or sorry, an hour and 40 minutes in, like I said, this was a monster episode. There was so much here. And I like your expressions were what I was going through as I read this. And I wrote this. I was like, no, what? So. I know. It's just, it's, it's such a, there's so many things that taken alone are a wild abuse of power. You look at them all strung together and I just keep coming back to this is the natural consequence of protecting somebody. Yes. For years and years and years from having any consequences whatsoever. I mean, he, from he enabling felt, someone's worst vices, essentially. Yeah, but because <laughs> they are a useful tool of mm-hmm. the party, this is the natural outgrowth of that where somebody doesn't feel like they're, they will ever face consequences. And we've seen that at a lot of levels, right? Like we're seeing that currently with the United States Supreme Court yes. where they're just doing whatever the fuck, flying around mm-hmm. on private jets and having their family members tuition paid and mm-hmm. all that kind of crazy stuff because there are no limitations on them. It's interesting because I think one of the things I've kind of wondered about is like, are we living in another gilded age? I mean, you look at- post-consequences world, basically. Well, but, but maybe not post-consequences because to tie this into something different, I mean, we've seen so many countless examples of people who are rich and in positions of power effectively getting away with whatever they want to and also acquiring so much wealth for themselves to the- serious detriment of Mm -hmm. the people who actually like generate and create that wealth. And we've had such a, like a a wild labor movement in the Mm -hmm. past few years with strikes at Starbucks unionizing. And now we have the writers guild and the, the, uh, I mean, SAG. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. actors guild is striking now. UPS is imminently striking. UPS. Mm -hmm. Yes. UPS has a deadline coming up, I think in a couple of weeks, August, maybe at the end of this month. Okay. August 1st, Mm -hmm. where they are going to go on strike. And it's, it's because their part-time workers are getting paid like peanuts to do the same work part-time that people get paid a lot of money to do full-time mm-hmm. in a very physical demanding job. And that, if that goes forward, I think people are saying it may be like one of the largest strikes in the nation's history. And so it's interesting to contemplate the idea that we are maybe in yet another gilded age with Mm -hmm. the modern day Rockefellers who are running roughshod on labor and Mm -hmm. the laws and people like Ken Paxton, the United States Supreme Court, who have been uh, able to wield their positions of considerable public uh, influence for their own personal gain Mm -hmm. and interest. And um, I'm kind of i'm hopeful it'll come crashing down for at least a few of them yeah i think ken paxton corrupted himself too close to the sun so <laughs> we can cross our fingers <laughs> after all of that i'm gonna go to sleep <laughs> so exhausting <laughs> well let me preview so we don't know what the plan is for upcoming mm-hmm. episodes in that we both have some travel and other commitments coming up and so we may be back next week we may be back in a couple of weeks but we will be back with one of my stories mm-hmm which you have heard some of because we did it at the 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 University of Texas Appellate CLE and our title the story made my jaw drop i can't wait the working title is weekend at larry's so you can <laughs> marinate on that <laughs> reference 
So that's what we'll be back with after this. And I'm certain we will hear a lot more about Nate Paul and Ken Paxton. So that was absolutely delightful. Everything that I wanted to learn about what was going (laughs) on with his corruption and the impeachment. And I can't wait to get all of the juicy details out of the impeachment trial. I can't wait. Oh, and... There's currently a controversy, too, over whether he'll have to testify. Apparently, the Senate has a way, like, they can subpoena you and force you to testify as well. And he's currently saying he won't, but the Senate's saying they may force him to do so. And I will block my calendar that day, and I will watch every minute of it. I mean, he's under federal investigation, so I have to assume he's just going to take the fifth. Yeah, exactly. They can't force him to waive Mm -hmm. his Fifth Amendment rights. No, they can't. But I still want to watch him squirm. I mean, aside from potential damage to his reputation, like, why wouldn't you take the fifth? Mm-hmm. Well, he should. But let's hope he's stupid enough not and vain enough not to. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can email us, badlawyerpod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media, badlawyerpod. Leave us a review. We appreciate it. And we will be back with Weekend at Larry's. Thanks, guys.